Good morning, church. First Peter chapter 2, we read these words. Like newborn babies, you must crave spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Anyone remember the store Toys R Us? I see a lot of hands raised. I need your help this morning. Maybe you remember the jingle that was that, that came on during the commercials for Toys R Us. I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. Million toys at Toys R Us that I, I don't hear anybody that I can play with. From bikes to trains and video games. It's the biggest toy store there is. Gee whiz, right? I don't want to grow up, because maybe if I did, be a Toys R Us. Yeah, you guys got it, finally. Uh, good luck, by the way, trying to get that jingle out of your head later on today. I don't want to grow up. Perhaps that's a common refrain as a kid that we hear. But then we become adolescents, and usually our mindset changes. We want to grow up fast at least in, in certain ways. We can't wait to get out of middle school, get our driver's license, learn how to drive, be allowed to date, graduate from high school, get a job, move out perhaps, go to college, get married, get promoted, retire. We don't want to wait. We don't like to wait. We want what we want and we want it at points in life, it feels like we're caught up in this cosmic game of red light, green light. You guys remember this game as well growing up? We can't wait to see what is before us. And at times in life, we look out and we might even see who it is we are becoming or what is before us. But life has a way of red light every now and then causing us to stall and to wait, and at times it might feel like we have to start all over again. I want you to look at this video on the screen. It's a video of a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. It's incredible to watch this transformation. The best part is we don't have to wait a long time to watch it happen. The gift of a time-lapse video gives us this process of the caterpillar turning in, transforming into a butterfly in a little less than a minute. I mean, the before and, and the after transformation is pretty cool, but not many people spend a lot of time talking about what is going on in that cocoon. You see, during the cocoon phase, things get weird. Things get messy. It's uncomfortable. Inside its cocoon, the caterpillar melts, like literally turns into goo. It's not pretty. It's kind of gross, actually. When you watch this video, we love the fast forward to the end part of the video. But in order for transformation to happen, there's a process that has to happen. Our culture values both speed and, and quality. Normally, however, quality takes time. Christian maturity is something that all of us are called to in this life. And when it comes to our faith, a genuine Christ-like 
Life and faith takes time. It takes focus. It requires growing up, craving spiritual milk like a newborn baby needs and craves milk. We just wrapped up the Christmas season. And what a time we had celebrating the birth of Jesus. And we don't have many details of Jesus' childhood and teenage years and in early adult life in Scripture. We often are too quick to jump from Jesus' manger to his manhood. Jesus grew up just like you and I. So the next couple of weeks, we're going to try to slow down just a little bit. We'll be examining several of the important scriptural accounts of Jesus' childhood to see what we might learn about our own spiritual maturity. Luke chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, then you want to turn there or open the app. Uh, we've just come through, like I mentioned, a time of remembering and celebrating the story and the gift of Christ's birth. We pick up the story in Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 21. It'll be on the screen, so we may have it there before you. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. We say thanks be to God. There are a couple of things going on in these few verses in Luke chapter 2. One is this purification offering that was required for all women who had just given birth there at the temple. If you want to know more about that, it's very, very fascinating when you look at the type of offering that Mary and Joseph had, uh, that, that gave that day in the temple. I encourage you uh, later on, look at Leviticus chapter 12. The other thing that's going on in these few verses is Mary and Joseph bringing the baby, Jesus, into the temple for consecration in order to dedicate him. Joseph and Mary had a responsibility with this newborn baby, their firstborn male, just like every new Hebrew parent. This responsibility and tradition was tied to the Exodus story. Taking a firstborn male to the temple was important for the Hebrew families. And again, if you want to read more about the tradition, the reason for the tradition, I encourage you, go, go back and read Exodus chapter 13 later today. But this morning, I want us to focus in on the significance and the importance of the temple. Why the temple? Why is this building so important to the biblical authors and, and the Hebrew people? What does this ancient building have to do with us today in particular? What does it have to do with us growing up? We're going to take a little journey. And it may seem like a long journey. We're actually going from the first page of our Bible to the last page of the Bible. I hope everybody brought their sack lunch. Did everybody? <laughs> Hopefully uh, you can uh, stick with me. We're going to go on a little journey 
some scriptures will show up on the screen as we go. We don't have time to read these scriptures word for word. I encourage you to write them down. Perhaps take a picture when they're all up there. And you can look at them later. The initial glimpse of temple language occurs in the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, there with Adam and Eve, we read that they were created in God's image. Images of ancient gods typically took the form of idols within ancient temples. So the message in Genesis chapter 1 is very clear to us. God created humanity to dwell with him and to bear his image to the world. And for a brief moment, everything is golden. Everything is as it should be. There was no need for a temple structure. God dwelled and walked with humanity right there in the garden. This dream world doesn't last long. The first humans, they choose rebellion and they become alienated from the garden, from each other and from the presence of God. You fast forward to the Exodus story, and the people of Israel have been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years, disconnected from their identity as God's image bearers. As Moses leads the people out of Egypt, God commanded the people to build a tabernacle. Now, this tabernacle was a a tent-like structure, and this tent structure served as the place where God would dwell with his people, almost like they were back in the garden. Several hundred years later, the tabernacle was replaced by a permanent structure that King Solomon directed to be built in Jerusalem. It was the temple building. This building uh, was called a house of prayer for all nations by the prophet Isaiah. Through this temple, God not only manifested his love and his, and his care for Israel, but to anyone from any culture who was willing to come to this place, it was there that they could worship him. This building was a place where God's people could meet with God, preparing them. Preparing them to become this, this holy expression of his presence on all the earth to all nations. Unfortunately, just like Adam and Eve, Israel's leaders rebelled against God. They perpetuated evil and injustice in their midst. And as a result, the temple is destroyed and the people are exiled from their land. Many years later, some people return to Jerusalem and they build this second temple. However, the temple system quickly fell into corruption once again. The Old Testament ends with more questions than answers. Is it possible for humanity to dwell with God as he intended? Are you still with me? I see some heads nod. Hang on, we're almost there. Just when we thought the story was coming to a tragic end, Jesus shows up. Jesus arrives on the scene. When the gospel writer John describes Jesus, he uses the words, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us or dwelt among us. The word he uses here, by the way, dwelt, 
is the Greek equivalent to the word used to describe the tabernacle in the Old Testament. John's message is clear. Jesus is God with us, his people. John goes on to record Jesus referring to his own body as the temple. You might remember in John chapter 2, Jesus says, uh, this temple will be destroyed but rebuilt in three days. And the people are like, what? At Jesus' crucifixion, the curtain that shielded the inner room of the temple is torn in half. And what was the significance of this event? The author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus, our great high priest, was the perfect sacrifice that accomplished what the temple in Jerusalem never could. Through Jesus' sacrifice and victory, he made a way for God not only to dwell with his people, catch this church, now it is possible for God to dwell in his people. Jesus shows us what it means to live as God's temple, allowing his presence to dwell with his people. There's no longer a need for this physical building. When God dwells within, something significant shifts. The New Testament writers continue to use this temple language that we see throughout Scripture. When they write about the temple, they're talking about the people of God. You may remember in 1 Corinthians 6, the Apostle Paul writes, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? At face value, this could be mistaken as an individualistic idea. And that is often how many modern Jesus followers are introduced to this idea in context. However, in English, we don't have grammatically correct ways to differentiate between a singular you and a plural yous. Now, if you grew up where I'm from, it's y'all, right? Now, for some of you, maybe it's you all. That means we should read Paul's words as you all's body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. There are some incredible implications here, both for the early church and for us today. There is an inbuilt communal aspect to being a part of this family that we call the family of God. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul uses the metaphor, the body of Christ, to describe the Christian community and how all of the diverse members need one another and work together when it's doing what it's supposed to do. There's an inherent assumption of, of teamwork and cooperation and, and unity as the people of God function as the temple today, working together to help one another grow up. The temple is where God dwells with his people throughout the biblical story. So if the people of God are the temple, that means it is through this temple, these people, that God desires to reach all nations. Are you tracking this morning? In the ancient world, people traveled from far and wide to encounter God at the temple in Jerusalem. Now, the people of God are that temple in our world. We take God's presence to the corners of our neighborhoods and communities and to the corners of our world. 
we are almost to the finish line. He's calling you. He's calling <coughs> all of us to function as a little temple, if you will, today. Wherever you are in the very last chapters of the Bible, in Revelation 21 and 22, John writes about his vision of heaven after Jesus returns. He gives this extraordinary picture and depiction of this new city of God, but it is conspicuously missing something. There's no temple, at least no structure in the city. Why would that be? Because Jesus finally and ultimately is now dwelling with his people. God is once again walking together, dwelling with his people. We did it. First page to the last page. The temple symbolizes this beautiful collision where heaven and earth meet, where God and community, or excuse me, and humanity meet. Um, you may now exit the vehicle, but don't check out just, just yet, right? Back to Luke chapter 2, what's going on with the act of, of taking a newborn child into the temple? This was an opportunity from the beginning of a child's life for new parents to recognize and, and, and take advantage of this opportunity of taking this child into the temple, into the place where God met with humanity, for the family to open themselves to the outstretched arms of brothers and, and sisters who were willing to help, to open the door wide for God to move, for God to work, for God to draw that child to himself. For all parents and guardians in this place, isn't that what we want for our kids, isn't it? We understand parents are our primary in terms of spiritual influencers on their kids. As their kids are growing up, I've said this many times before, the church cannot outteach what they are being taught and catching at home. That's why we want, that we, the church, want to pour into parents and guardians. We know parenting isn't easy. We also want you to know that you are not alone. I've shared many verses from scripture that remind parents of this God-given responsibility. Uh, if you want to look at a couple later on, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Psalm 78, good places to start. But hear this this morning, church. Discipleship of those who follow us is a team Sport. It's a team sport. There is something unique that happens every time we, the church, gathers together and takes some time to dwell with God together. When we do, one of our top priorities is investing in kids and teens and their families. Why? When the church gathers, we're hopefully offering a chance, opening a door for a kid's ears to be tuned into the voice of God. Do you remember the story of Eli and Samuel? It takes place in the temple, right? Where God and humanity meet. There they were in the temple, the boy Samuel confused about 
the voice that he keeps hearing. And who is it there that is there to direct and guide? There is Eli to encourage him. Eli, this is the place where God and, and humanity meet Samuel. Listen and respond to God's voice. Samuel, grow up into the Lord. We aren't just trying right now downstairs to keep kids alive. It's really important that we prioritize that, and we do. We get to help to point them to the one and only who can give them true life. You want to be a part of that? To be partners on the same team, working towards the same goals for our kids? This long-term, eternal faith? Church, you want to impact the world? You want to make a difference in our community and neighborhoods, our city, and, and beyond? Invest in the next generation. Lean into the next generation. We need servant leaders to step up and to say, I can work one Sunday a month in the nursery. I can show up on a Wednesday night and set up tables and chairs. You know what? Uh, I have an empty nest right now, but I would be willing to adopt a young family, brand new parents in our church, sort of take them under my wing as they just try to figure out their path. It's not only kids who need to show up and grow up. Right? None of us have arrived. We are all in we all need to continue to grow up. When we gather in order to, to meet with God through encouragement, songs of praises in this place, confession, as I mentioned before, prayers, lament, accountability, we give, we serve, we rejoice together, we cry together, we experience the word broken and, and poured out. We hear the words of, of this sending out every week. When we gather, we recognize over and over again, we need God and we need the church in order to grow. Amen? Do you crave pure spiritual milk like a newborn baby? Today we have an opportunity to once again consecrate ourselves. Here I am. Here I am to worship God. What do you have for me this morning? Here we are with an opportunity, those of you with kids still in the home, to consecrate our kids to God again. To be a living sacrifice, fully surrendered, fully surrendered to God for our kids. Is our living testimony, are our hearts crying out this morning, God, I'm listening not my will, but your will be done. Make your will known. I desire to grow up, no matter how hard or how long it takes. I know you're not finished with me yet. I'm going to invite Sarah to come up. The praise team in just a moment is going to share perhaps a new song with us. It may be unfamiliar, but... I just want to encourage you to, to listen to the words. Before they sing, I, I heard a testimony uh, from Sarah about this very song, so I've asked her to share. Sure, so we're going to get ready to teach you a new song. It's called Call Me Higher. And I first heard this song, um, it was in one of our prior churches, 
Um, and it was at a time similar to what we're going through right now. We were having a change in leadership, um, and it wasn't so much the children's pastor retiring as it was uh, the music leader was getting ready to move. And um, I could have just, you know, sat here, be content with the status quo, not want to change, not want to do anything different, because I was happy with what I was contributing, with what I was doing. I could just sit here and bask in God's presence. But he was calling me through the words of the song to step it up, you know, and um, do something more. He was calling me higher in his service. He was calling me deeper in his service, and he was calling me to lead. And so um, from that... Um, time in my life, and that's part of the reason why I'm a worship leader today. Um, and so I just hope as we sing this song for you and teach you this song that you will just really lean into the words and listen. Um, they're awesome words, and um, I just hope that you'll consider and reflect what God might be calling you to do as a next step in your faith. Amen. That's it. That's it, church. Making yourself available understanding that we all are in process, continuing to grow up in our faith. Where is God calling you to grow up? Perhaps this morning you're telling yourself, I don't want to grow up. Maybe, maybe you're just looking for the fast forward button. Not really interested in the slow Perhaps you aren't really plugged into the life of this little temple that we call the family of God, where God meets with us in special ways every time we gather together. You haven't found your place of service or connection, maybe, and God is asking you to, to take that next step in your faith. Maybe it's stepping up and, and helping the next generation here at Restoration. Perhaps you're already serving and, and plugged in, and just like Sarah, you're, you're listening, and God is speaking and has another step of faith before you today. He's calling you deeper. He's calling you to go higher with Him. Is your heart's cry not yours? Not yours this morning? Maybe it's taking the next step of faith at home to be the, the spouse, the son, or daughter, the mom or dad, the friend. 